On this episode, we reflect on the power of personal stories. We talk to reporter Adolfo Guzman Lopez and writer Rafael Agustin about the recent projects that are both examples of why our narrative and voices matter. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show! What's up, Marino amiguis? We're back. Hey, Ana Sheila. Kiobo, ¿cómo estás? ¿Cómo estoy? Um, I'm good. Um, you know, I was, I was, I'm reflecting a little bit. I'm, I'm good, but I'm, a, I'm also a little bit emotional porque we're recording on Father's Day. So I just was thinking a lot about my dad a little earlier, like literally right before we started recording. So definitely in my feelings a little bit about that. So just sending love to everybody who is celebrating today in whatever way they're celebrating or also folks who have lost their dads or who don't have relationships with their dads. I, I think that these holidays can be really beautiful, but they can also be really difficult. So just sending love to, to everybody on this Father's Day. Yes, definitely. And speaking of um, the thought of losing your dad, I know that that's behind an event that you're putting together and I think it might be a nice reminder to let folks know about this thing that's that's happening because as, as you shared in the last episode, but we could remind people that the 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 loss that you experienced and then the same with your co your partner who you're co-producing this event with has experienced this loss as well. So what do we have coming up that folks might want to check out if if this resonates with them, the idea of uh, of grappling with grief? Yeah, thank you, Brenda. Yeah, so we are hosting a, a, an event centered around grief and the idea that, you know, we all grieve differently that all phases and expressions of grief are, are welcome and that it can be really helpful to be in a community for this type of healing. Even if you kind of go through your, you're having your own experience, that community space to do healing, I've found to be really powerful. So this is something that I really wanted to create for a long time. And Kat, who is the founder of Babes of Wellness, was also on board. So we've been wanting to do this forever. So we're really excited. This is happening on July 15th. Um, Friday, July 15th from 6 to 9 p.m. And we're just putting curating different experiences that are aimed at just you being able to grieve and heal in whatever way feels good to you. So we're going to do um, a, a meditation. We're going to do some sound healing, a tea ceremony, some body movement, and then some creative writing expression. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, and I just want to remind folks that like, there's so many things that we grieve, right? So it could be the loss of a, of a, of a loved one, but it could also be the end of a relationship. It could be the end of, it could be grieving your former self and, and, and leaving behind who that was and also friends maybe too. So just that there's so many things that we sort of release. And, and so we want to create this, this experience to, to, to let you grieve whatever it is that you're grieving or, or letting go of. Beautiful. And this is donation based. And of course, you all can go to Tamarindo podcast forward slash events and you can see the 
slate of activities that we have for you this summer. So thanks for reminding folks about that, Anishela. And yeah. of course, thank you for sharing your your thoughts on, on this day, even though folks are listening, going to be listening to this a little bit after. But uh, uh, thank you for acknowledging what date is today. It's also um, Juneteenth. Yes. And for folks that may not be familiar with this day, Juneteenth, it, it's a celebration of Black culture and achievement. Um, and it, it marks the day that Texas, two years later, or two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, finally let enslaved people know, hey, you're free now. So that's the origins behind the day. And this year is special because it's the first time that it, it is a federal holiday. So I know a lot of folks might have Monday off um, and just sending love to to anyone that that marks this day. It's, of course, not a holiday for us. I want to recognize that, that it's like we don't need to be invited to the barbecue. right? We, we don't need to be buying the the uh, the Juneteenth memorabilia and stuff because that's not we, we don't want this holiday to become Cinco de Mayo, which is what's happening. So I, acknowledging that, but also it's it, for folks that may not be familiar. It's also good to, to um, give you all that context, that background and. Um, Happy Juneteenth, y'all. So, um, moving on, Anna Sheila, um, thanks for mentioning sh- grief because we're going to hear some great conversations in just a second. One of them does center on on grief, um, and, and we had a fabulous conversation with uh, with Adolfo Guzman Lopez, who we'll talk about just in a second. So, this episode we have two fantastic interviews centered on personal memoirs. And everybody on this podcast, this is um, hashtag Happy Immigrant Heritage Month. Everybody on this podcast is an immigrant. So uh, we get shit done. <laughs> so before we get to hear our fantastic interview, uh, Anna Shayla, I have a question for you. Have you thought, you know, this is in light of Immigrant Heritage Month. Have you ever thought differently about your experience as an immigrant, especially, you know, the, the, the more time that we've spent even on this podcast talking to to people and understanding more about U.S. history and global implications of migration. I'm curious if you've had any reflections on your thoughts um, on yourself as an immigrant. Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is the fact that when I was growing up uh, as a young immigrant, I really was trying to be the perfect immigrant, right? Because of how we were conveyed in a lot of different places. And so I wanted to show that I deserve to be in the U.S. I wanted to show that I wasn't like a lot of the reflections that I saw at times in the news or wherever, wherever it was, and that I, you know, was a, you know, a contributing member to this country. And so that was a lot of what I was sort of grappling with when I was growing up and how I saw my immigrant experiences as a, as a young Mexican immigrant. Um, And then I both also wanted to be, so I wanted to both be very American. And because I think, you know, as a Mexican immigrant, I also felt very connected to my Mexican culture. I also still wanted to be really Mexican at the same time. Right. So like that whole problem of like wanting to be the most American we can, the most Mexican we can, I, that definitely resonates with me. And I think that what's transitioned for me or how what's changed now is just letting go. Well, first of all, realizing how harmful that was that that way of seeing myself as an immigrant in, in, in the US and, and, and where like all the things that contributed to me looking at myself that way that were not that, you know, are, are terrible. And so now just transitioning to just saying like, I deserve to be not because I'm the perfect immigrant, but just because. Right. And so it goes back to just you're worthy for just being. And I just realized how harm, harm, harmful this way of looking at myself in the US was. Um, yeah, and so it's, it's also been interesting to see, you know, a lot of white people that are coming into Mexico and staying in Mexico now, it's, it's, it's become, you know, more and more popular to, to settle in Mexico as well. And, you know, just seeing how they move around in Mexico 
and they don't, it doesn't seem like they're trying to be the perfect expats or, or immigrant in, making, in, in Mexico, you know? So it's just really reflecting on like undoing and unlearning all the things that had, you, had a really like negative impact on me. So that's some initial reflections. Excellent, because that is precisely, that is precisely some of the reflections that Adolfo Guzman Lopez um explores in this yeah. uh, podcast that he's here to talk to us about. So Adolfo is the host of the podcast Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary, where he explores the mysterious and untimely death of Oscar Gomez, a star of the 1990s Chicano movement. So you'll hear in Imperfect Paradise that this podcast is a lot more than your quote-unquote true ha- crime unravel. This is actually a testament to a pivotal moment in California Chicano history, which is the 1990s. And as a reminder, I mean, this is the time that we were coming up, Anna Sheila, as little babies, little kids, but this is the time when racist Prop 187 passed in California. This is when we had the L.A. uprisings. And of course, it makes perfect sense that you're going to have an uh, as a young immigrant child. Of course, I relate with everything that you're sh- that you're sharing. Of course, you were pushing against like I have to be worthy or I have to be the good immigrant because in the news, what we were hearing is like, get out of our country. There's an invasion like this is the shit that was going on in the 90s that that here progressive California was happy to pass a, a racist proposition like Prop 187. So anyways, you're going to hear a great conversation in just a second. So let's talk to Adolfo Guzman Lopez. Welcome to Tamarindo, Adolfo. So good to have you here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for the invite. I, I love it. Fantastic to have you. I love this podcast. And I, I to me, I feel like it's a bit of a memoir. Like you're, you're revealing a lot of your personal story. And I want to know what made you decide to frame it this way? Uh, a couple different reasons. Uh, the podcast is focusing on a college student, civil rights activist who was active between 1990 and 1994. His name is Oscar Gomez. He was part of the Chicano student movement during that time. And he had a radio show on his campus at UC Davis. He traveled all around the state to different protests and marches, um, not just up in Northern California, but also in Southern California. He was, and I ran into him. I didn't know him very well. Uh, I was actually friends with his best friend growing up in Baldwin Park, a man by the name of Juan Gonzalez, who was a college student in San Diego. I was going to UC San Diego at the time, very involved in the Chicano student movement there. So the reason that my story is part of Oscar's story is, is that, that we were both in similar circles. We were both attending some of the same marches in the early 90s. And we were involved with our Chicano student groups on campus. I also had a radio show at UC San Diego. So I also did interviews and brought them back to the radio show. Oscar was a lot better on air <laughs> than I was back then. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you if you hear some of the selections in our podcast of his uh, voice, his radio show, he is just so engaging and he brought so much to the mic. Right, he brought so much Definitely. in terms of lived experience, what he was seeing at the time, and he was just so engaging and charismatic. And I think you you get that you get that from hearing him uh, on this podcast. And so, my story is part of his story, and I decided to tell it. 
I love it. Yes, I meant to actually start this this chat with you by saying kibaso, kibaso, because that's something that I heard Oscar say in the podcast, which I thought was really cool, and I want to bring it back. Well, uh, sending uh, sending you some cubasos uh, yes. out there. I, I hadn't really, I didn't really remember that. And and of course, cubo, at least uh, in Mexico where I grew up, it's like que uh, hubo, right? What's up? Yeah. Right? And Cubole. then Oscar kind of takes that. And, <laughs> yeah, cubole. And and then he turns around and takes that and turns it into a cubaso, right? I'm sending you out to say, hey, what's up? I love it. I love it. Now, I mean, there's. I, I love the podcast. Everybody should take a listen to it. Of course, we're going to let everybody know how to how to reach it. I want to talk about this powerful moment in 2020 that was pivotal to you in how you kind of view your identity. And we, we like I mentioned, we we kind of hear you reveal your struggle with identity, which I think is is wonderful. But an extra wonderful takeaway from this podcast that it's a lot more than this unsolved mystery. It's also your personal journey. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about this pivotal moment in 2020. Thanks. And and I think your use of the word struggle is a good one, because when I hear the word struggle, I almost see um, like two luchadores on the ring and and one of them is has got the edge and then the other's got the edge. And 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 so it's this engagement. Right. Which which is how I see, you know, kind of the, the, the struggle with my identity. Yeah. So in 2020, um, I was uh, a reporter at uh, Southern California Public Radio, KPCC, the NPR affiliate. I had been um, a reporter there um, ever since the year 2000 and had seen the station kind of grow and grow and followed it along. So in on May 31st, 2020, I was sent to cover the George Floyd protests in Long Beach, where I live. So that was a Sunday. It also happened to be my my son's birthday uh, that day. So uh, midday, uh, my wife and I were, were spending some time with him and his friends. And then I got sent out to uh, to downtown Long Beach, and um, I took it as any other assignment that I that I had had over the years uh, to cover protests. Um, you know, kind of got ready and everything. And and once I got there, I noticed it was different. I noticed things were different. Um, well, first of all, there were people breaking into stores and taking things. Uh, I hadn't really seen that in protests that I'd gone to. And, and also the level of, of anger and confrontation of the protesters towards the police was something I hadn't seen before. And we can talk about the justification, you know, uh, you know, we could talk about that and, and, and what led up to those protests. So, so I noticed that was different. So I went about um, doing uh, kind of a live two ways. So, so I checked in with the newscast and the host and described what I was seeing. And then after I did a few of those, uh, this was, you know, late afternoon, uh, it was around 5, 5.30, um, I thought to myself, oh, I've got to do some interviews, right, um, to be able to produce a radio story about this uh, for the newscast for the following day. So I started talking to some people. I talked to a man who was taking a knee, an African-American man, and he was telling me why this was a, a, a why did he decided to be on that street and confront the police and talk about injustice towards African-Americans and people of color and, and the violence against George Floyd. Right. And just as I was, just as I had turned off my recorder on my phone and was getting his name, I heard a pop from a distance and felt an impact on my neck. And my, I didn't really think about what it had, what had happened. It was a, just an instant reaction to run the other way. And so I had been hit by a foam round from fired by the police, by the Long Beach police department and so, um, 
you know, to kind of summarize the impact in terms of what we're talking about in terms of identity in the following weeks, in the following months, um, you know, I, I processed uh, that trauma and I processed and I, I felt rattled physically and mentally, emotionally. And uh, it's almost like, you know, when there's an earthquake and things fall off, fall off your shelves and then, you know, earthquakes over and you have to decide you're taking things and putting them back on you look, you look at something, you think, I don't really need this anymore. Let me, let me get rid of that. Right. So, so mm, that's, yeah. in a way that's, that's part of how, what, what happened when I was, you know, kind of processing this. And what I'm talking about is some of, some of the, the dysfunction that I grew up with as a, as a, uh, as a, as a, as a young person in my family and, and really some of the challenges that I had emotional, socio-emotional challenges I had during my K through 12 years in San Diego and also, and also in college. So, um, so yeah, and my relationship to my parents and, and, and also kind of this identity of having been born in Mexico city, having grown up in Tijuana, uh, growing up in San Diego too. And not only San Diego in a, in a Mexican Filipino community, a uh, national city, but all, but going to my mother's jobs as a, as a house cleaner in upper middle class neighborhoods, beachside neighborhoods in San Diego, and, and adapting to that. So, so I was, I was, you know, I was processing a lot of that, and 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 that's that's part of what you hear in the podcast is me trying to make emotional sense of some of that. Yeah, and I think too in this what what occurred in you covering this protest, just the sequence of events because it was as as you described. In the podcast, after you had a chance to sort of um, speak to the incident while it was fresh on air, you spoke about it on on air. That you know you can't you can't deny the sequence of events. It was clear that you were interviewing someone, and then the police shot you. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's another part of I'm sure of the unpacking. But just also thinking of at least the takeaway that I got in listening to that is that para qué? You know, why am I carrying this this um, guilt about my identity or like I have to hide behind it? When at the end, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you could very much still be targeted like anyone else. I mean, that's the the takeaway that I that I took from that part. I mean, what is your reaction to that? It, it, you're you're right. Um, you know, and I didn't say that that part of what I was also carrying was, you know, having been undocumented from the time I I moved with my mother to San Diego when I was seven years old. Up until I was about 17 years old, when you know Ronald Reagan signed into law the what became known as the Amnesty Act, and that allowed myself, my mother, and my stepfather, my my brother and sister were born in the United States, but allowed us to uh, <laughs> become documented. You know, as I as I used to say, obviously, you know, we were full human beings. We don't need anybody to document our you know full humanity, but you know, having lived as someone, you know, while I was undocumented, I couldn't talk about any of that. I couldn't say that to my school friends, my neighborhood friends. And even the those two groups of people were, were, were separated, right? Because I went to a school outside of my district and I couldn't tell them that I didn't live there. And then in the afternoon, I'd go home and I had my friends there. I couldn't really, that, you know, they would ask me, hey, where do you go to school? Oh, I go on Pacific Beach. Oh, that's so far away. Yeah. So I had two super friends, right? And then, you know, being undocumented, I, I couldn't tell anybody at school. So there were a lot of things that I, I was just kind of 
putting in boxes, internal boxes, and just kind of, you know, and then there'd be the process of who could I tell, who could I, so I just didn't, didn't really tell very many people. So now with amnesty and this promise of, you know, being, you know, having a path towards, you know, citizenship and all that, it's not like I instantly opened up. I didn't, right? I, I, I still kind of held things in and kept secrets and, and kept secret, kept secrets in the sense of like, you know, I wasn't fully open. And so this process of, of being shot with a foam round, um, you know, and just for the record, the police say that it was a ricochet and that they didn't, it wasn't a target of me. Um, they didn't really show much proof of that, but you know, it's, it's in a news report that Aaron Mendelson, my colleague put together. Um, so this rattling of me kind of shook all that stuff up and, 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 and it's been a process during the production of this podcast with the help of, you know, our brilliant team of Natalie Chivnaski, Audrey Quinn, editor, James Chow, Francisco Avilespino, you know, they've, they've helped me. It, this has been my crew that has held my processing and figured out, okay, how's this, how's this part of the story? How are we going to write this? And so I'm very grateful for, for this process to allow me to understand what I've been going through. Yes, thank you. And that's what really makes this story so powerful because it is in many ways a, a memoir, a personal journey. And there's so many things that so many of us can connect to. I mean, we, we're, we're speaking now at, as we just marked 10 years of DACA. You know, there's so many young people that can relate to that experience. I mean, myself included. I was undocumented from 4 to 22. So, wow, um, so it's Brenda. definitely wow. something that, that connects you know? so many of us, right? Yeah. yeah. Very powerful story. Now, um, something else, though, that I'm, that I'm picking up from this podcast is that in many ways, this podcast challenges toxic masculinity. And I don't like to use machismo because I think it inaccurately frames toxic masculinity as endemic to our culture when it's a global issue. But what you're doing here, I think, is really you're exploring grief. You're exploring loss and trauma from a Latino lens. Um, do you think of it this way? You know, it's interesting that you say that. And as you're saying that, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Um, so, so in this in um, Imperfect Paradise, Forgotten Revolutionary, you will hear men and women processing different types of things, processing grief of the loss of their friend and family member, um, Oscar Gomez. But you're right. Some of the main characters um, are men. And some of the main characters, the, the, these men, including myself, I think we go to deep places of processing grief. I'll give you one example. I'll give you an example of Alvaro Huerta, who is the brother of Noel Huerta, Oscar Gomez's good, good friend at UC Santa Barbara. Noel Huerta invites Oscar on November 16th, 1994, to attend a march, take back Chicano studies. They'd had some problems there at UC Santa Barbara in the late 80s, early 90s with Chicano studies, resistance to it. And then there was an issue of who was going to lead that department, who were going to be the professors there. Were they going to be more activists, professors and people, people you know, engaged in the community? Or were they going to be people not engaged in the community, people more, more, more scholarly, right? And the students wanted it, people who were engaged 
Chicanismo is an identity of, of being politicized, right? Um, you know, to quote Ruben Salazar, you know, a Chicano is, is someone who, a Mexican-American who has a non-white image of him or herself, to paraphrase. Um, and that's a political act, right? So, so, um, so, so Noel Huerta invites him. Alvaro uh, talks to us about Noel because Noel has passed away. Alvaro gets into the context of his brother being a college student at UC Santa Barbara. They grew up in a notoriously violent neighborhood in Los Angeles, uh, Ramona Gardens. And they carried that pain of seeing people they were close to being killed in front of their eyes. And, and, and uh, also Eddie Salas, one of, Oscar's, uh, one of Oscar's close friends at UC Davis, also processes a couple of different painful things. One of them being this, this person, Oscar, who he was so close with, all of a sudden gone. They were each other's uh, checks and balances in a way. They riffed off each other on the radio show and they fed each other uh, each other's intellect, emotions, and all of a sudden Oscar's gone. And Eddie has to keep on living. And he's going through this very, very tough thing. And when I talked to Eddie, Eddie described all the work he's doing with English learners in public schools in the Sacramento area. Yet, Eddie doesn't believe he's lived up to Oscar's ideals. And I have to tell Eddie, Eddie, look at all the important work that you're doing. And, and, and it's a very painful thing for him to, to, yeah. to hear me saying to Eddie that Oscar would have been proud of him. Yeah. Very powerful moment. Yes, from that from the podcast. So many things. So many, so many things going on and on here. Much more than your, you know, true crime. This is this is levels. Gracias. Gracias, Brenda. Now to close out our time together, we want to do our fun rapid fire questions. Um, and you know, whatever comes to mind, there's no right or wrong answers. So the first question is, what do you celebrate? You know, it could be big, small. What do you give your matraca to? What are you celebrating? Oh my gosh, right now or in general? Uh, in general, could be anything that comes to mind. Oh my gosh, my daughter, my son, my wife, the people closest Siempre, to me. Familia. I them. Happy Father's yeah. Day, by the way. <laughs> gracias, gracias. Yes, I love that. And then, kind of um, opposite of that, what goes in la basura? What are you canceling? What are you done with? And again, big, small, oh whatever, God. whatever comes to mind, what are you done with? People who don't stop. And listen to me. <laughs> I love that. Well, we're we're definitely stopping to listen to this podcast because there's a lot there's a lot you're saying and it's very important. I'm I'm a generous listener. I'm a generous listener. And 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 people who don't stop and listen, I, ah, híjole, yeah. You know, we can talk a lot about this, right? I, not that I don't have time for them, but hey, they can they go can go off and do their own thing, you know. I love that. I love that. And then how do you stay grounded? Where do you get your calma? Like, you know, there's a lot going on in this world. How do you stay grounded? Oh my gosh. I've got a, I've got a great therapist. <laughs> Brenda. Uh, and I say that and I say that and I, she's a guide. She's a guide. So she's a guide to my body. She's a guide to um, kind of the connection of my body to the thoughts I'm having at a particular time. 
you know, and, and, you know, I say therapist, but, you know, uh, she could be, you know, a curandera if I was living somewhere else in another time. She could be a comadre if, you know, another place, another time, or, or, or that sort of thing, right? This is just the person who, who and, 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 yeah, so what else centers me? You know, breathing, taking time to breathe, you know, and being, maybe being flat on, on, on the floor or the ground. Yes, literally grounding. No, this is great. Wonderful takeaways, of course. We we are big supporters of therapy on this podcast. Now, lastly, where can people keep up with you? Um, how do they find this podcast? Where can people stay connected to your work? Oh, thank you very much. So my handles on Instagram and uh, Twitter are at A. Guzman Lopez. So both on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, what else? Uh, so Imperfect Paradise, Forgotten Revolutionary, Google it. You'll find it on whatever platform you use. If you don't use the podcast app, you can go to the LAist Studios page and you'll be able to see all the episodes there. And thank, and thank you. Thank you for the support. Tell your friends about it. You know, tell, I, th- I think this podcast has a lot to offer because it's been put together, not just by me. You're going to hear my voice, but it's a team of people um, who who are really trying to tap into the humanity of this group of people in the early 90s who were social activists, who were civil rights leaders at a time when they weren't able to retweet everything that they were doing. And the history books don't have their stories yet. And, and so these are very important stories. And the story we tell isn't the only one. There are lots of other stories out there. So, so please share it. Definitely. We got to keep those stories alive by, by sharing and amplifying. Well, muchísimas gracias for being here. This was such a delight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. You're doing an important job. Thank you. Thank you. It's Pride Month, y'all, and we are so excited to see so many queer folks out in the streets. While we pause to reflect and celebrate the gains we've seen for LGBTQ plus folks, our friends at Justice Work want to make sure we never stop making progress. The team at Justice Work has been in the field for almost a full year collecting our experiences through the National Women's Community Survey. It's the first national survey of its kind designed to capture the experiences of LGBTQ plus women, especially Latinx, Black, Indigenous people, and folks of color. Visit www.lgbtqwomensurvey.org and get started today. Again, that's www.lgbtqwomensurvey.org and we'll include that in the show notes. We want to encourage you to take the survey. It covers so many topics about the experiences of LGBTQ plus women and it's because all of these needs deserve to be addressed. So take your time. You have up to seven days to complete it after you start. Just save your time. Encourage your lesbian, bi, pansexual, trans, intersex, asexual, and queer woman friends to take it too. And save that tab. You have seven days to complete it. Sharing your experiences will help address the gaps in knowledge and policy about our experiences, priorities, and the challenges facing LGBTQ plus women, our partners, and our families. So start the survey and complete it today. Again, visit lgbtqwomensurvey.org and get started. All right, we're back, y'all. I'm so excited to listen to that podcast and so cool that you got to um, have that conversation, Brenda. So um, before we hear our next interview, have you ever thought about writing a memoir, Brenda? I feel like it's it's the thing right now, but what, what do you, have you thought about it and what do you think that process would be like for you? 
Right. It does feel like it's the thing, right? Because we, you and I both have been reading a lot of, of memoirs. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been it's, it's I've been thinking about it. I, something I got to do that was so exciting that I got to do last week is that I, I got to speak to um, Erika L. Sanchez, you know, um, about her fantastic new memoir that's coming up. And that was awesome. And of course, you'll hear in just a second that I got to talk to someone else about his memoir. And um, although it's not exactly a memoir, at least she, she doesn't describe it as such. Of course, you know, we, we've talked many times on this podcast about how much we love Prisca Dorcas, Mojica Rodriguez's book, which in many cases, uh, even though it's not, she doesn't describe it as a memoir. I mean, it has a lot of her personal experiences. So I've... I have thought about it a little bit. And and as the conversation with Adolfo Guzman Lopez in many ways has become, it is a bit of a memoir. It's made me realize that maybe it is a worthy exercise because there are such few examples of our stories. And it is important to give testament to the experiences that we've had to to show that we were here, <laughs> that our voices mattered. So it is something that I've, I've, I've explored. I've also thought about what, what it might be like to peel those onions, right? To look back at, at painful experiences, to look back at um, being young. And also, I think there's always like, who wants to read my story, right? There's that, there's that, that, uh, that glimpse of, of doubt, but I've read such wonderful memoirs. One that, another one that's, that comes to mind is called Crying in H-Mart fantastic read, fantastic read. And that one is a book of um, a woman that's talking about losing her mother to cancer. So I think um, it, it makes me feel that um, everybody's story is worthy and, and everybody's story is, is worth telling. So it's exciting. I'm curious, have you ever thought about, about this, Are you looking back or writing some more about your own personal life experience? Yes. And I think more so recently, my first ever dream was to be a writer and I sort of let that go as, as I grew older. And so I've been wanting to lean into writing more and I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity through this podcast. I get to just write reflections that then I then get to share on the, on the podcast. But uh, I think especially since I've been in, in Mexico, I've been thinking about this more and because the, part of the impetus for me coming was, was around connecting with, with my dad and who he was and like knowing these are the streets he, he grew up in and that so much of what he taught me is it comes from him growing up here. And so I don't know how long I'm going to stay in Mexico, but this feels like the beginning of a new phase for me and a new time for me. And I just, I feel like I would love to, through my time in Mexico, have something that I've created that reflects, that, that really you know, timestamps this, this period of my life. And, and I think I would, I would love to write something. So, so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I want to, I want to start actually having more, creating more space to actually write about this. So that's, so that's kind of how I've been thinking about it. Excellent. I'm staying tuned. All right. So speaking of memoirs, our friend Rafael Agustin joins to talk about his new memoir, Illegally Yours, which you can order right now at 10% off at sholabooks.com. Highly encourage that you please invest in Latina-owned independent bookstores versus Amazon. So again, that's uh, 10% off with our code TAMARINDO, all caps lock, T-A-M-A-R-I-N-D-O. Rafael Agustin is the executive director of the Latino Film Institute, and he joins Tamarindo days after the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival, known as La Leaf. So we talk a little bit about that. He's writing that high because, you know, there was so much um, greatness happening there at La Leaf. And, uh, and of course, he helps put that together. 
And Rafael is no stranger to Tamarindo. He's been here before this time. Um, we're so excited to learn more about his memoir. And if you, you, if you ever watched the show, Jane the Virgin, you are familiar with his work because he was one of the writers and he's behind a lot of projects. And we're just excited to have him back. So let's hear from Rafael. First of all, welcome back to Tamarindo. How are you? Hi, Brenda. It's been it's been too long. I'm a repeat offender at this point. Yes, you're back. You're back. So super. What a joy. It's been such joy just watching everything that you've been up to. Of course, you're you're re- jumping in here at the you just wrapped up La Leaf. So before we jump into your amazing book, how was La Leaf? How are you feeling? How are you like writing that cloud nine right now? How are you feeling? It's it's remarkable because the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival has grown beyond any expectations. This year, uh, we had a full-on student film festival within La Leaf. So it was two days of thousands of students and their parents and teachers and principals who came to the film festival, which was remarkable. And to open with Mija, which is a homegrown story, and then to close with the reimagining of Father of the Bride and have Gloria Estefan and Andy Garcia at La Liv. It was just, it, it was a remarkable year for sure. Yes, legends. And you know, uh, this is sort of full circle and I, I believe because your book, you know, your wonderful me- memoir that we're going to talk about right now, it really starts with with uh, your love for American Ninja and film, right? And, and <laughs> to, to see you carry that love of film all the way to the things that you're involved in from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes to in theaters to everything. It's just such a, so, so wonderful, right? Cause you, we, we get to have an intimate view of, of who you were as a kid and that vision and making it all come true in this book. So first tell us what motivated you to write this memoir in this moment in time. You know, this is, uh, this is the book I always wanted to read growing up. There were several books that impacted me throughout the years. I remember Fresh Off the Boat by Eddie Wong was one of them. And I, I kept thinking, wow, I didn't know we can talk about our immigrant problems and parents in, in this honest way. And then Tina Fey wrote uh, Bossy Pants. And then I was like, oh, my God, we can be funny and like personable when we write. And then when I read The Undocumented Americans, um, that book by Carla Villavicencio, um, uh, she she blew me away at to, to be able to speak about the intersectionality of being undocumented and mental health. I was like those if I can just put those three books together, uh, I would have accomplished something in my life. And I think that's what I try to do with Illegally Yours. Yes, love it. And for me personally, I mean, it's it's a very personal book because I have so much. I share so much of your experience. You know, I share so much of of grappling with whiteness, right? Grappling with privilege, of of navigating an immigration system, of of following the rules, but then the rules are not meant for you. <laughs> like, so to me, it's a very it, I, I can connect with it. I know there's so many. Unfortunately, there are so many millions of people that have been in one way, shape, or another affected by the weird ass immigration policies that we have in this country. So I think it's very, very relatable. What do you want people to take away from this book, especially folks that are outside of this space that, that have not experienced being undocumented? What do you want them to take away? Um, well, first, let me let me say that the author's name is Carla Cornejo Villavicencio. She's a fellow Ecuadorian American. So I would hate for her to hear this and be like, what? No, shout out to her. But I I think what I want people to get out of this is that we're American. 
despite of our documentation. We make our economy stronger, our workforce younger, our food tastes better. Um, there's no it reason. Does. There's no argument there on the food. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no reason to be othered, right? There's no reason to make us feel differently. It's all, all, we're, all I'm trying to say with this book is we're here. We've always been here. Um, why don't you start treating us like family? I feel like undocumented Americans have like this uh, abusive relationship with the United States. We love this country so much, but it just won't love us back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Are you feeling any any more hope? <laughs> and this is a loaded question because it seems very dire, but how are you feeling about the current state of affairs when it comes to immigration policy? Are you are you hopeful? Do you think stories like the like these matter? Can they play a role? Uh, I truly hope so. Um, unfortunately, because of our immigration system, we're going to have to get to a place where <laughs> where we have to address all of the undocumented Americans in this country. And I think it might lead us back to amnesty, which is exactly what Ronald Reagan had to do for his Republican presidency. And we're going to continue doing that 30 years from now again, unless we address the initial problem. Um, and I always tell people that, listen, if you have problems with refugees and you have problems with undocu undocumented immigrants, then maybe we should stop creating them. And that's really what we have to take a closer look at. What is U.S. foreign policy and what has caused all of these, especially Latin Americans, to come to, to, to the United States? Uh, my book is a comedy. I am not by any means a professor or a scholar, but I do ask these very hard questions at the top of the book. Like, what, what happened to my country of Ecuador? that forced my father, a pediatric surgeon, to come to this country to work at a car wash? What happened in Ecuador that forced my mother, an anesthesiologist, to come to this country to work at a Kmart? And the answer is quite simple. There was a lot of things happening in the 80s all over Latin America, just like they happened in Cent Central America before then, just like it happened uh, in Chile or Guatemala with all previous presidents. But that's up to Americans to really go out there and learn their history. Yeah, we'll bring you back to you and your personal story. What did you learn in this process? What was it like to write this memoir? What did you learn about yourself? What were your takeaways about the experience? Oh, I got to tell you, there's nothing, nothing harder than to look back at the memories that you held so dearly as a child and discover that a lot of those stories were lies. As I started to unravel my my personal narrative, I realized, oh, well, my, without giving the book away, uh, my, my parents actually got a divorce. And that's the hardest thing for me to, to have written this story because I, I wasn't ready to, to be able to, I wasn't ready to speak about my, my father in particular without passing judgment. So I had to protect my own memories while discovering that a lot of these stories that I held, that some of them were lies. Do you, do you know what I mean? So it 100%. I mean, you, in, in this process, you're, you're forced to look back in a very vulnerable way with the lens of somebody that's an adult now, right? With so much more information and context. So I can see how it's a very vulnerable process to go back to that time with this perspective. 
It's heartbreaking. And again, I'm writing a comedy, but crying as I'm doing it. <laughs> it's so uniquely Latino. Exactly, right? Because we laugh through the tragedy. <laughs> we laugh through the tragedy. That is very true that it's it's such a such a Latino way to write a memoir. Well, this is exciting. Are there going to be, is there is there more writing? I mean, I know that you write in many ways, but is there going to be more writing like this in your future? You uh, Has the bug bit you about writing books? You know, um, my my bread and butter is is TV. I, I still develop and and produce a lot of television, and and I want to stay in this form because there's so little of us in the in the Hollywood space and TV as TV writers in particular. Um, but this has been such a remarkable experience. It, it was it was very hard. It was very vulnerable. Uh, but people are responding so well to it. And um, we're already discussing what would be the follow-up to this book. And and I don't know, maybe, maybe perhaps I need to write my expose of a minority trying to make it in Hollywood, because Hollywood is a whole nother beast, let me tell you. People think it's so progressive and so liberal Hollywood, but it's not. It's still very racist. It's It's incredible. Yeah, there's, we've got a long way to go, but that's why we're, we're so excited for people like you that are always lifting others up, that are always pushing, pushing more of this story forward, that, that are speaking up, even in this, you know, this little podcast here and you just calling out Hollywood. You never know. Oprah likes this podcast. It might, <laughs> it might reach a lot of ears. <laughs> so, Not um, a little podcast, Brenda. I am so in awe of what you've created. I'm, I'm a listener. I'm a follower. Uh, I always tune in. Um, this is remarkable. I can't wait to see what happens next for Tamarindo Podcast. Well, we absolutely love having you. This is such such a dream. Of course, in like the adjustment, the, the post-pandemic world where we're not in a studio, but we're here via, via Zoom, but it's still wonderful to, to see your face and, and to always have your support. Now, so, so folks can get this book. It comes out when? It comes out July 12th everywhere. You can get it at your local bookstore. You can get it anywhere online. Yeah, pre-order right now. You all can pre-order at sholobooks.com, which is, of course, Tamarindo's partner. If you use the code Tamarindo at checkout, you can get it for 10% off and you'll be supporting a Latinx independent-owned bookstore. So why not? We're so excited for, for this book and so excited for everything that, that you're up to. Where can people keep up with you? Uh, you can you can follow me on social media. Uh, I'm Mr. Rafael Agustin. Uh, on t- I'm on TikTok. Can you believe this? I, I know. I've been noticing the TikToks and they're so much fun. They're so much fun. I, think I love I have it. my hands full with like Instagram and Twitter. I was over it with MySpace, but no, my, my publisher was like, you got to get on TikTok is how you reach like wider audiences who don't know you. And my God, uh, the TikTok community that has been so supportive of the book has been remarkable. This is so exciting. How are you feeling right now about this book? How are you feeling? Because I could just see the joy. The joy comes through in the TikToks. The joy comes through in all of the community and friends lifting up this book. I hope you feel it from Damarindo as well. How are you feeling? Uh, it, it's so many levels, right? Because a, a memoir is so complicated. You want people to like you as a writer. You want people to like you as a human being. And then I'm representing on like an undocumented community. I'm representing like Latinos and immigrants. So there's so many different layers of, I hope I do it justice for people. And the reviews have been remarkable. Like the first three that came in were like, my mom wrote them. And I, I just got word that I'm going to be on the CBS morning show the day that the, that the book launches. So that's so remarkable to me. 
Well, muchas felicidades. Big old matraca to you. We can't wait to finish the book. I've already had a taste of it and I can't wait to dive right in. So thank you so much for stopping by at Tamarindo. Oh, I love you. Producer Jeff, holla. <laughs> okay, muchas gracias. Thank you for stopping in. Un beso. Hugs, hugs. Bye. Okay, Anashayla, time to close out with our rapid fire question. So why don't you kick us off with your matraca? All right, I'm going to keep it a little bit still kind of like Pride Month oriented. So I'm going to give my matraca to actually a content creator that I really enjoyed for a long time. Her name's Salise Rose. She's a queer Latina. I say Latina because I'm not sure if she's Mexican. She gives me como that vibe, pero no sé, like she's just grown up with a lot of Mexicans. But um, I just think she's so funny. And I just love what she's been able to create for herself. And I love her content because it's, it's kind of millennial content and there's so much that she does that just is nostalgic and reminds me of so many people that I grew up with. And so I love, I kind of, I just love engaging with her content because of that. And she's just hilarious. So just a shout a quick shout out to um, Salise Rose. Very cool. Very cool. I actually, the next question is your basura, Anashela. We're going to keep it all on you, then okay, all okay. on me. My basura, again, keeping it um, sort of pride oriented. I'm going to give my basura to my Uber driver yesterday. <laughs> Throw them in the trash. So generally, my experiences <laughs> in Ubers in Mexico have been very great. The music's great. Conversation is great. And when I choose not to have conversations, they're very respectful of that, too. But yesterday, um, my Uber driver somehow like mentioned something about my novio or esposo and all these things. And I was like, no, I don't have that. And <laughs> so I basically like decided to just like casually come out. And I didn't think it was going to be a thing because I haven't had so many experiences like this recently. But it was a thing. His first comment was, pero estás bonita, number one. So he, he basically said all the things you could think he would say wrong. So, yeah, so he said, Bar. bonita, number one. Number two, he said, que lastima, you know, like for men, I guess. And so I was like, not for me, bro. Like, it's not a lastima. I'm very happy that I like, that I love women. <laughs> um, and then the last thing he is, he was like asking me about like who plays the, the, the man role. So like all the, you know, Oh, geez. He could possibly <laughs> say wrong. And so it was just an uncomfortable ride. And then, you know, I just kind of kept my peace and, and tried to push back in a non, like, in a way that that wasn't going to make me feel worse or, or, you know, just make the ride even more unpleasant. And so we arrived at an okay place, but that just, it just sucked, period. Basura, so basura to that ride and that driver and that conversation. <laughs> A hundred percent basura. And then to counter that, what is your calma? My calma is um is around asking for what you want. So um I've been really tired because of my job and like, you know, juggling different things like this podcast and other things. And I just wasn't really feeling, I wasn't liking how I was spending my time. It didn't really feel aligned with me. And I was just so exhausted. And, you know, sometimes we got to do things that we don't, love to do. Right. And I'm my, one of my goals right now is to build a little nest egg. So I'm, I'm doing this job that, you know, I wish I wasn't working so many hours, but I got to the point where I was just, wasn't feeling like I was feeling something brewing in me. Like this just didn't feel aligned. And so I actually talked to my manager, expressed kind of how I was feeling and just actually asked for less hours. And she was receptive to that. And now I'm going to work a few less hours. And that just feels so supportive to me and like what I want to do, like I want to spend more time writing, like more time on Tamarindo. So it doesn't, so that doesn't feel so stressful. You know, we we're working on 
there's a lot of things I've been wanting to do for Tamarindo that I haven't had time for. So I'm excited about that. And it just, just a good reminder that like, ask for what you want. You know, you don't know if, if people are going to say yes, but the very least that you can do is ask. So that's my, my calma. That's giving me a lot of calma. Very, I feel very happy. I love it. Do you feel like a big sense of relief that oh you had that God, difficult Brenda, conversation? Yes, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited. It's relief, just spaciousness. Like it feels more, I feel more aligned with myself. All good things. <laughs> que bueno, que bueno. Gracias. All right, so you, let me start with, with... What are you giving your matraca? My matraca, my matraca, my matraca goes to Latinas doing the damn thing, including you, <laughs> including you exactly by this example that you just gave. But um, specifically, I'm going to call out my friend, or our friend, Alma Lopez of Alma Explorers, because... She is living her dream. She's going, uh, like planning these amazing excursions to Mexico. It's just such a badass. So check out Alma Explorers. Um, Erika L. Sanchez already gave her a shout out here, but we're excited to have an event with her July 21st. She's just such a badass. It was such joy to speak to her. Absolutely. Um, just someone that's doing the damn thing. So matraca to Erika L. Sanchez. And then I got to give a matraca to Eunices Hernandez, who will be my new city council representative. It was a slow burn. But when all those votes were counted, because a lot of us voted early, we voted by mail. So when, when it's all said and done, it looks like she is going to beat an incumbent. This is historic. This is amazing. So big old matraca to Eunices Hernandez. So those are my matracas. Wait, I'm just going to give you a quick matraca, Brenda, for just the folks that you have on this episode for, you know, having this, being able to get Erika Sanchez. I'm a, I, you're doing the damn thing too, Brenda. So I just want to give you a matraca and a shout out too. Ah, thank you. So sweet. So sweet. Um, let me give my basura though to some folks that are not doing the damn thing. So the basura goes to these Latina and sometimes Latinx platforms, empowerment platforms that are not using discern discernment, like Please use your good judgment when you think about who you're going to celebrate. We do not need to be celebrating the Latina that flipped a Democratic seat, especially a mentirosa that lies. Uh, this bitch said, quote, I'm the first Mexican-born American citizen to be elected to Congress. Bitch, no, there's been eight more before you. So uh, I don't care. I don't care to celebrate racistas, mexicanas. We don't need to. We don't need to celebrate that shit. So basura to all these platforms that don't use discernment. And I have more to add to that. I was disgusted. I've been absolutely disgusted by the number of Latina platforms that have been celebrating the Latina attorney on, on Johnny Depp's defense team. Wakala, we do not need to be celebrating that shit. That you all, please use your good judgment. No sean pendejos and not everybody needs to be celebrated. All right. That's my basura. Yes. E, what about your calma? How are you countering all, all those feelings? <laughs> I have been binge watching. I have been binge watching. I'm on season. I, I'm in the middle of season three, but I started from season one watching this show called Legendary on HBO. It is phenomenal. So this is a show. Uh, it's um, ballroom, ballroom, Vogue, you know, that sort of dance scene. It's a dance competition. There's different houses. And I I, I have loved it for the, the first and second season. One of the judges is Megan DeStallion. And I, I just love her. She is such a sweetheart. She is so, so sweet. Um, and, and one of the things that she said is that she won't forget people's names. And she does not. She will tell like these houses, there's like five members in each of these houses. And she'll be like, Anna Shayla, that was fantastic on Tuesday. Like she knows all of their names. She is just so sweet. I, I absolutely love her. Kind of bummed she's not in the third of the season that I'm watching now. Their scoring is all over the place, I got to say. But there's just such beautiful people uh, featured as, as um, 
as the dancers and you learn a little bit about their personal stories. A lot of folks that are um, have escaped homelessness, um, addiction, other other challenges, a lot of it from just not being accepted at home and finding family in their houses. It's just such a sweet show and I can't recommend it enough. So if you want to just like watch something that doesn't um, anger you and instead just fills you with joy is legendary on HBO. So that is how I'm finding my calma. Before we close out, I want to just give a big shout out to folks that have contributed to this show. Thank you so much for your contributions. Look, we, like we've said many times, this is really mostly a labor of love. Occasionally we get a little bit of ad money, but most of the time we're spending about eight or nine hours per episode unpaid. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that has contributed to us. Please check out our events. Most of these are free or donation-based, and you're always welcome to kick us in a few dollars for, for that. Also, if you're local, I'm still doing the free workouts in a park, and you can find that also on our website, totally free. But all of these things, if, we, if you ever have $5, $10, $20, please consider sending us a little bit of money so that we can continue to work on this podcast for you. So uh, with that, thank you all for listening, and I hope you share this episode with a friend. Con tu suéter. Bye, y'all. Abrazos, besos. Chao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.